What's up, world? Back with another episode. It is the Up Watching Hawaii podcast. Back again. Trying to get back on a regular schedule, you know. Trying to put it out weekly, but it took a little bit more than a week, you know. Real life happens. Shit's going on out here in these streets. That's something that's got to get handled, but gonna try to stick to the schedule of, you know, dropping an episode every Sunday, Monday, you know, gathering things throughout the work week because shit just keep on happening that we try to keep track of over here. And things just keep piling up. So we're just going to stick with, you know, almost everything that's happened has happened during the work week. So court on Saturdays, Sundays, get it out to y'all Monday, Tuesday morning. So y'all can have something to listen to while you're at work and get your little sports fix, baby. But we're going to glance over a few topics. We're changing over the format a little bit. We're going to start off with a couple of, you know, just quick topics to go over a little bit of things like that. Then we're going to get in depth about some more in-depth things like current situation going on with the Hawaii football team. Uh, we're going to talk about, of course, the national championship game and how great that was. Then we're going to talk about, you know, fallout from Black Monday and all the things going on there. And a little bit going into the Rooney Rule. Then we're going to discuss UFC and the current things they got going on. And also this episode... We just so happen to have ourselves a special guest decided to stop by and give us a nice little rant about something that they liked that happened this week. But we're gonna play the intro, pay a little pay a couple of bills, and we're gonna get right back to you. What's up, world? This is the Up Watching Hawaii podcast. I'm Smurf. And this is your guy Sai, and we watch the games that you can't stay up to. And we also watch the combat sports as well. We are hosted live in the Say Less Podcast Discord server. Shout out to the Say Less Podcast of Kaz, Loki, and Rosie. And we are also affiliated with the Otaku Fight Club Podcast, hosted by yours truly. And we are also affiliated with the Sips Tea Podcast, hosted by Genesis and C. Saint, a rapper and a battle rapper out of Buffalo, New York. All the links to everything described here are in the bottom of the description, and we'll get started with the show. What else are frustrated? Good grief. Anyways. Skeet Matt Smurfy come back here to y'all once again. This podcast episode is mostly just going to feature me with a special guest. Mention that. Introduce him. Let him come in a little bit later. But live watching the Philadelphia Eagles not stand a chance against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this playoff game. Doesn't even feel like a playoff game. It's just like that one game last night. Get to that later. But yeah. Here's a new segment that we're going to keep steady going forward called Quick Hits. We're going to spend about 90 seconds talking about subjects that came up into the headlines over the past week week or so. And then, you know, keep it moving, keep it pushing, then discuss the bigger topics later on the podcast when we pay the bills. And to get to the first thing that came up this week that was big topic and also a little crazy is the whole game last week that featured the Raiders versus the Chargers for who would make the playoffs out of the um, the AFC West. And the crazy thing about it was, oh, we got a muff. Uh-oh. Ooh. Ooh, Tempe got that ball back. Oh, they got the ball back. He muffed all of that to hell. But yeah, but yeah back to last week. Um, yeah, it was a situation where basically Raiders charges their plan to get in the playoffs, but if they would have tied, both of them make the playoffs and it kicks the Pittsburgh Steelers out. And this game goes all the way into overtime. And boy, oh boy, them Steelers fans were stressed. Like, last second possible that field goal goes up. And then 
Raiders get lucky there. But then they come to the playoffs this week versus the Bengals. And, ooh, they, ooh, luck ran out a little bit. Uh, I don't know if anybody else here saw, but had an inadvertent whistle on a play out there. And that, that, that has to hurt because that, that inadvertent whistle led directly to a touchdown. I don't think I've seen anything like that. Most of the time, you know, they've been trying to do this whole having replay officials come in and be more, be more active in the playoffs, but that didn't help because the touchdown that happened should have got called back. Now, moving on. Once again, the, probably the, the craziest person we've ever seen in football. Antonio Brown is back at it again. So after storming out off the field during that Jets game last week, this man has been on, I don't even know to call it a press run, but he's he's been on like three different podcasts, he's been hanging out with Kanye, Madonna, Floyd Mayweather, YG, The Game, basically, basically anyone and everyone possible, and it's just been a wild scene. A wild scene. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, see the Bucks, they delayed in cutting them. I guess they tried to make sure they had their paperwork straight, which none of them came back on them. Because I can see why they wanted to get rid of him because this man's been flip-flopping. One day it's like he hates Brady. Then the next day he's like, yeah, that's the homie. But Antonio Brown is, has become a pariah to the National Football League. And I don't know how much longer anyone else is going to put up with it. I don't know if he's going to end up on a team next year. I'm a little doubtful about that, but if it happens for him, it happens for him, and I'll be, and hey, the man, the man can play his ass off. That's that's Tony Totap, forever and always. No one, no one can beat that footwork. And now, let's go on to a big splash in the world of basketball, and that long-time WNBA player, like, I think she did, like, 15, 16 seasons in the WNBA. And then has been assistant coach for the San Antonio Spurs under Greg Popovich for the past decade and Becky Hammond. Signs what is said to be the most, the highest paid contract of any WNBA coach ever. Which really just means over like a million dollars a year. Because you have people like uh, Gina Arayama and Don Staley who coach down at, you know, the NCAA women's level, excuse me, both of those two are getting about $3 million a year to do that. So, let you know it's not about the money for her. She want to be with the big dogs. And this going to be a big splash. And WNBA salary cap's only $1.3 a year, so that's probably what they sign her to. Just to match the cap and be like, hey, you know, you're getting paid the same amount as the team is. And nothing more, nothing less to make sure that things don't get too crazy between get too crazy between other coaches being like hey we want we want bigger money too but she's probably the most deserving given the pedigree of her coaching i mean she's always coached the um the spurs um summer league team and she's very deserving shout out to becky hammond now moving on the ncaa is protecting their biggest investment for all of those who think you know College football brings in a lot of money. It is nothing compared to NCAA March Madness and those two tournaments between the men and the women's. That's 
it's what one point five billion for the men's tournament alone every season. And then I think about half a million half half a half to a quarter billion alone for the women's March Madness tournament every season that they bring in money. And so the NCAA has decided, hey, anyone who contracts COVID for the next 90 days, they, they are considered to have been vaccinated. Just so any player who gets infected can play. They, they're trying to protect their investment. They're trying to make sure, hey, whatever happens, this tournament going to happen. We're getting this money. There ain't nothing you can do to stop them from getting this money. And it smart move by them. Smart move by them because it's like, you you know the only part of the college basketball season you make money is a tournament. Hey, make sure everybody as as much as possible can play during that tournament. And also, you know, the conference tournaments that lead into it that make the whole thing March Madness. And keep that going. And then a, a ghost from fucking snowboarding pads is still reckoning his fucking face. So I remember when I was young, like this is way back. If, if you if you know the game Sean Palmer snowboarding, then you know exactly how long this man has been doing what he's doing. Carrot Top, aka the redheaded boogeyman, aka the chosen one, aka Sean White, has just qualified for the Winter Olympics. Once again, this makes five different Olympics that he's been in. That's a fucking 20 year span of this man being one of the most elite, elite of snowboarders you've ever fucking seen in your life. Like, I mean, he also had his four range of skateboarding where he was trying to be the first guy to ever hit a 1080 and a half pipe. That fell for him. But this is really the first guy who was pulling out 1440s and above in slope style and super pipe and snowboarding. And he's made the Olympics and also his little mini-me goon, Chloe Kim, is still out there doing her thing. She, she took home a medal at this last U.S. event before the Winter Olympics start. So if Sean White can make the podium at the Winter Olympics, that would be crazy. That would be a crazy scene to see going on and moving forward. Like, that's go to status. He'd be up there with Kelly Slater. And now, or one of the, the funniest stories that happened this week. <laughs> so, former NFL linebacker, Bart Scott for the New York Jets, on a show aptly titled Get Up, said for Josh Allen, for him to prepare himself to play in the game last night, that was going to be around negative 5 to negative 10 degrees, that to keep the blood flowing and to keep warm, pop a Viagra. I've heard of athletes doing all kinds of things in different training to get shit done. But pop a Viagra is one that I've never heard. That's some new shit. And it's fucking hilarious. But I don't know if he popped the Viagra or not. But Josh Allen and his spot went out there and put the absolute stumps on the New England Patriots. It was immaculate. They scored on every drive except for before the end of both halves where they nailed it down, turn up the clock. And that shit was obscenely crazy. 
I ain't never seen no shit like that where every job they just I mean, except for like that one shootout, like that time between the Rams and the Chiefs, like way back the game that's supposed to be Mexico City, but ended up not being there. That one, I've never seen, really seen nobody just every drive touchdown. I mean, I've seen every drive score was like touchdown, field goals, yada yada, but not every drive touchdown in a playoff game like that. But that leads us in for me introducing our special guest today from the Sips Tea Podcast, one third, one third of them, shout out to Genesis and shout out to the Golden Child, I have the one and only C. St. He ain't straight out of Buffalo to celebrate his team putting the goddamn stumps on people. Quick commercial and we'll get to him. During this brief intermission, I just wanted to remind all our listeners that we are available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and we also have a Twitter account where you guys can interact with us and catch up with us, see our ideas on some things happening between our podcast episodes. Links will always be down in the description. And now back to the action. Quickly, to preface what you all are about to hear is this man's live reaction immediately after the game happened. This is this is not a special podcast piece, but I felt the need to record this, and he was cool with letting y'all hear how he felt. Without further ado, let's get to this Bills Mafia bullshit. First win, exposed y'all, no, it was windy as fuck, but y'all refused to believe that. Oh, that second game, yeah, we whooped their ass, and in this game, we just bullied them niggas. This is, oh my god, it feels so fucking good. We deserve this. We deserve it. We fucking deserve it. Josh Allen? The fuck? The fuck? Micah Hyde? Oh, damn it. Your boy Josh almost had a perfect passer rating, too. Yeah, he almost did. Fucking Matt Milano? the fuck out of here, yo. We was wilding on them niggas today. Bill's fucking mafia, yo. Fuck Patriots. As a staff, record label, and a motherfucking crew. And if you down with Patriots, fuck you too, nigga. Chino XL, fuck you too. My fofo make sure all your kids don't grow. Wait, wait, who, who, who's Chino XL? <laughs> who was that? All right, that's, uh, this nigga from <laughs> the fucking, uh, and the, uh, the, uh, what's it called? Tupac <laughs> hit him up this. Oh. That's the type of time I'm on right now. Mm-hmm. So, Patriots got their ass whooped. They can eat a dick. It ain't no question no more of who run the AFC East. It's not a fucking debate. It's not a fucking talking point. The Bills run the AFC East. Period. If you don't agree with that, you're delusional. Straight okay. up delusional. Mm-hmm. And you could suck a dick. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, you could suck the dildo that they threw on the field. Wait, when they threw the dildo on the field? Nigga, they threw a whole dick on the field, my nigga. Oh, I missed that. You think I'm playing? I, I, I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. Look, at the, look at the group chat. Look at the shit. 
They threw a whole dick on the field, nigga. <laughs> Let me find this. Bills Mafia, nigga. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh. Dicks on field at niggas, yo. Oh, word. They threw about you, niggas. We throw dicks on y'all, y'all niggas. They threw a whole dick on the field. That is kind of funny. Yeah, we, yeah we, we call them buildos around here. <laughs> we throw a whole buildo on y'all ass. Um, um, I don't know how I feel about buildo. Bitch ass niggas. I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I feel good. You know what I'm saying? I feel good. Bill's motherfucking mafia, nigga. I'm just saying, ain't no motherfucking debate on who run the AFC East. That's it. We won. Bitch ass niggas. Nigga, Josh Allen scored a touchdown and was just stone faced. Nigga's a murderer. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was unnecessary when y'all put when y'all put the lineman in there to get that TD though. Nah, that... we was styling on these. Oh, you mad? Cause I'm styling on you. <laughs> no, we was we was styling on them niggas, yo. Holy shit! <laughs> God. Uh, that. I mean, yeah, yeah, y'all, y'all niggas was styling on them. It, it. It was the most necessary and unnecessary shit I've ever seen in my life. Y'all had them niggas in a full-on chokehold. Nigga, man, tears in his eyes at the end. Yeah. Little pussy-ass bitch. It's a man's game. You ain't you ain't built like this, nigga. <laughs> this shit for men. This shit for men. Pussy-ass bitch. Take that shit back to Alabama. Take that shit back to that little... No college shit. Take that shit back there, nigga. That's where men play. So men men play better from Wyoming is what you're saying? Yeah. Play. Go back to where the fuck it is you came from, nigga. Don't come around here with that bullshit. <laughs> it was all up in his feelings. And you should be. Because you a bitch. Bills Mafia, yo. These niggas scored on every drive. Come on. What we doing? Wait, what we doing? every drive? Yes, every drive they scored on. Hold on, hold on, okay. They first had, they had the first drive, touchdown. Second drive, touchdown. Third drive, touchdown. Fourth, touchdown. Every drive fifth, was a touchdown, my nigga. Fifth, end of the half for a kneel down. Then touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Nailed it. Oh, shit, yo. Yeah. Yo. Yeah. They were these niggas, yo. Yeah. They didn't. I, I can see if the shit was like, I can see if the shit was like, yeah, they scored every drive, you know, like two touchdowns, two field goals. Like, that's how the fucking, um, that's how the Bengals open up the game. In their game. Yeah. No, but these niggas touch down every drive. Yo, that, yeah, nigga, this that's shit not like even Madden, right. Yo. Shit, niggas don't even do that shit in Madden. Nigga we was going, yo. Niggas turned that shit to arcade mode and turned all the sliders all the way down and just played. Facts, yo. They was wilding on these boys, yo. Nah, but like, all jokes aside, it feel good to like have a, you know, W like that. Because like, 
as a Bills fan, niggas was going through it for a minute. And when we got Tyrod Taylor, like, niggas was like, okay, like, you know. No, but Tyrod Tyrod can play. Like, he he got you out to the playoffs. Yeah, he got – I'm saying, like, he got us to the playoffs. I was about to say that. Like, he nice, but he he was missing, like, size and accuracy. No, he had both of us. You got to remember that – that the first year he was there, they were like trying to figure out what to do with the team with him. Then the second year, they got a new, they got a new GM, and that GM was like, "I don't want Tyrod to be the quarterback," but they they didn't have no replacement. So Tyrod started playing. Tyrod started playing good, and then that's when the GM started trading away all your receivers, trying to make sure Tyrod couldn't play good. They gave away all of fucking all of our key weapons or whatever, but then they built like a you know, but yeah, like we had Tyrod, and and like he was he was all right, but. He was only going like I never saw a Super Bowl in him, and no disrespect to him, like he nice, but he five eleven, and yeah, he fast and everything, and he can run the ball for sure. But like in terms of like accuracy, he didn't have no type of downfield accuracy, and in terms of arm strength, he didn't really have that either. I mean, most 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 guys don't got crazy arm strength like Mahomes and um Josh Allen. I mean, even Brady don't got crazy arm yeah. strength. But I was, but like what I, what I saw with Tyrod was like a um, was like a Joe Flacco type thing where it's like, no, this guy's not gonna get you a Super Bowl by himself, but he's good enough that yo just put the pieces in place and shit's gonna go well. He'd be a fire backup. He'd have been a fire like backup QB. Like no, like all jokes aside, he'd have been a fire backup QB. But even still, like you know, they gave him away or whatever. Then we had I, I forgot the dude's name like because we only had him for like a season, and then we got Josh Allen. And he came in there killing, and that's when we was relying on Cole Beasley a lot. But then when we got Stefan Diggs, the shit just completely changed, yo. And now you even see like um Devin um Singletary, he stepped up. Well, no, that's not about sing. That's not about Singletary step up. That's about the offensive coordinator realizing and play calling. Hey, just run the ball. Whether you think this shit is gonna work or not. Fucking run it! Don't try to make Josh yeah, Allen. Singletary stepped up. He wasn't. He wasn't like as effective of a um, running back. Um, yeah, that is that is true. But it's but still, you got to give. Like you have you have to establish the run early in the game in order for it to yeah, work. The you got to averaging like three or four yards. Like that's not doing nothing. And now like no, it was four like, four yards a carry is where you want to be at with a running back. Nah, it w- it wasn't, but it was four yards a carry. But we was m- mostly a passing team. Yeah, and that, and that's the problem that you guys wouldn't run like, the ball. It was, like, it was like averaging three, like nah, not even. It, I think he was averaging three last, like last year. He was av- he wasn't averaging one. Yeah, but now, but last year y'all weren't even handing him the ball in the first quarter. Well, like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like y'all go to so first quarter without even attempting a run, which is just the fact that that's just bad play calling. What they did is like yo, like these niggas is bullies now. They just bullied the fuck out the Patriots, yo. And we deserve that, because I'm tired of fucking Pats fans, yo. Every time we win, there's an excuse. Fuck them niggas. They can look a dick. And if you down with Patriots, fuck you too. I'm not, I'm not down with the Patriots, so... And, 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 anything else, Chris? We won. God damn it. Like, we did that. I'm about to go chill with my friend real quick. Say happy birthday to her. I'm going back home. All right. That's it. 
I mean, I ain't leaving a group chat. I'm just saying, like. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm chilling. Like, nah, nah, I thought he was I done. Here, I would never come in here and just rant about the bills and then fucking leave. Like, nah, I'm, you know, I, I said no, my piece. I mean, you've done that before, though. But that's neither here nor there. Did that, though. Fucking bitch-ass motherfuckers. During this brief intermission, I just wanted to remind all our listeners that we are available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and we also have a Twitter account where you guys can interact with us and catch up with us, see our ideas on some things happening between our podcast episodes. Links will always be down in the description. And now back to the action. All right, so the big story we're starting off with this week, not trying to bury the lead or anything, we, we will... Gonna get to the national championship game. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Look, aptly as this podcast is titled, we have to start off with the firing of Todd Graham by the University of Hawaii football, the Rainbow Warriors, baby. And yeah, it's it's been a crazy tumultuous time for this man. As if if you're watching on YouTube. You're going to see it as it scrolls through the headlines and everything. It's, it's going to cycle through, don't worry. I got it on got it on a nice little loop so everybody can see everything. But um, yeah, he's had a tumultuous tenure there at the University of Hawaii. I mean, this is a man who, who started off Tulsa, turned that program around, did a year at Pittsburgh, then bounced to go to Arizona State, keep their, keep their winning styles of at Arizona State and increase it. For three seasons then the last three seasons he was there that shit just went kaput then the man was gone for two years then he up at Hawaii and man finished 11 and 11 over two seasons so obviously not good but the continuous amount of stories from his players coming out about who this man was and the character of this individual and all the allegations of different kinds of abuse and everything with that and from some of the coaches he had on the staff. And then his overall disconnect with the people of that university. You know, like each university has its own, you know, special culture of like how it connects to all the people around it and stuff like that. Cause you know, like for instance, a Clemson or an Auburn, you know, those cities are extreme college towns, so as a coach of the football team, you know, you got to be able to connect with the people in that community. Todd Graham, your coach on the University of Hawaii, that's a place with a very extremely unique culture, different than, different than, all, than any other place in the United States. And he had a very big disconnect with the Hawaiian people as things seemed to pour out. And then him not respecting, you know, the traditions of who, of who the Hawaiian people are as a culture led to the fans not liking him and then who he was as a as a coach in the locker room led to players not liking him to the point that ended up having 18 guys hit the transfer portal which is an extreme amount this is not you know most of these guys aren't your highly touted hey this guy was wrecking everybody over here Hawaii, and we need him at Bama. 
We need him at Michigan. We need him at Ohio State. We we need him at Georgia. These aren't those kinds of guys. These are just guys who are like literally trying to escape the nightmare that was being coached by this man. And I mean, I talked about it last last time a little bit when you know talking about John Madden and Urban Meyer. You know that switch from the mystique of the head coach turning into this cult of the head coach and how these guys as head coaches are they're propped up, especially in college football, as being the end-all, be-all to what's occurring. Because the college coaches, in fairness to the NFL, that's the head coach, GM, director, player personnel, damn near the team owner when it comes to college. And Todd Graham just misused all those privileges. And I, I haven't seen it recently where uh, an extreme amount of guys are decided to transfer out of a program. Eight, 18, almost 20. It's just, I mean, even with this whole, um, with the COVID protocols and how they pushed everything back and how even with all these teams with having stacked guys, with, you know, those guys, every guy was allowed to get an extra year. Even having a stack like that, I, I don't think we've seen any other team come close to having 20 guys saying, hey, I'm out, I'm leaving to go play for a team who's going to let me play. And of these 18 guys who transferred out and decided to start transferring out, because, you know, it was, you know, it was like three or four guys at the beginning of the season, then December hits, and the numbers just start going off like a money ticket. It goes, just crazy. And I don't think, I don't, I think this may be Todd Graham's last stop in coaching period. Because, I mean, we saw, because before this, he was gone for two years after Arizona State. And we didn't see, we didn't see him have, you know, no coordinating job, no position coach job at the college or pro level. We didn't even, he wasn't even fucking, coaching high school football. So, this may be, you know, one of those guys from the old guard trying to have these old ways like a Woody Hayes or type. And that shit, you know, just doesn't fly these days. And all that bullshit. And this, and losing 18 guys at the transfer portal. I mean, some of the guys haven't fully committed to other schools. Possibly with him getting fired. Some of those guys could come back. I think like probably five of those guys have already committed to other schools. So, maybe possibly get 13, more than like probably 8 to 10 guys to come back. Because about half those guys are getting decent playing time who left. And considering that they had 36 seniors on this roster leave, and considering that I forgot how the NCAA is doing it because they gave everybody the extra year how to incrementally stepping things down from, because you know, generally. It's, you can have 70 guys under scholarship and 100 total guys on your roster in college football. But they increased the roster size to 125, of course, for the, um, to match the maximum number of scholarships you're allowed to give per season. New scholarships to hand out per season. But I think they bumped it up to 90. I think they're dialing it back by, by 10 a year for these next two years to dial everything back down. To get it back to you know seventy and one hundred, 
but considering you got 36 guys leaving, just seeing as they graduated, you got 18 more guys going. You, you've lost a little bit of the equivalent of two whole recruiting classes in one year. You, you literally you can only bring 25 guys in a year. So you've lost a significant portion of your team. And I think that may be why the athletic directors, the athletic director and uh, I don't even know what to call it, if it's the, the board of trustees, whatever name they have for the University of Hawaii, why they got, why, why they got to the point where they're just like, yeah, this man's gone. Because losing the equivalent of two recruiting classes in one December is something that you just can't make up. It's it's damn near the equivalent of SMU SMU getting a death penalty. You can't make up the amount of loss that's just occurred. It's something that's difficult to overcome. Maybe the University of Hawaii, I mean, so far through the transfer portal, they only got three guys coming into the University of Hawaii through the transfer portal. So... I don't even think they're gonna be able to make up some of that difference in the transfer portal, or in giving out, or in giving out guys, giving out guys um, scholarships. I mean, they they are recruiting some JUCO guys to come up, stuff like that. Some JUCO even think they got a couple of Division two FCS guys, but that's gonna be enough to offset what the damage that Todd Graham has done to this program. I mean, I'm not talking about Hawaii. Like, oh, these guys have been the glorious program for a very long time. They they have their peaks and valleys like most of the, like most uh group of five schools, you know, Mountain West, WAC, all of those guys. They have their up and downs. But I think this may this could possibly be the thing that sends them into just a deep permanent pit for like maybe six years. This is the kind of thing that makes makes teams become those teams where it's like, yeah, this team is just a doorstop just for everyone else to beat up on. This is a team that every FCS school schedule is just to say, hey, we beat an FBS team. This could lead to that. We'll see what happens. I'll keep y'all posted. I mean, this podcast is going to specialize, you know, bringing the East Coast. A lot of stuff that's happening out there in the Pac-12 and the Mountain West that you guys don't get to catch because, you know, by the time news happens over there, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. We sleep, but I'm here to do that for y'all, and hope y'all. Hopefully, y'all keep coming back to hear about that kind of stuff and crazy mess. But go ahead, a commercial break, and come back talk about that championship game. All right. During this brief intermission, I just wanted to remind all our listeners that we are available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and we also have a Twitter account where you guys can interact with us and catch up with us, see our ideas on some things happening between our podcast episodes. Links will always be down in the description. And now back to the action. Congratulations are in order. Finally, finally, finally. Kirby Smart and University of Georgia Bulldogs were able to finally slay that one dragon that have been hanging over their head for the past damn near decade. They beat Bama and got themselves a natty. University of Georgia, they did it, you know what I'm saying? It's an incredible journey. Kirby Smart being a former, you know, 
Alabama assistant coach Nick Saban. And don't miss only marks the second time one of Nick Saban's former former college assistants has defeated him in a game. And the last assistant who did that was someone who was on Nick Saban's Michigan State staff. So that just lets you know how long ago it's been since a motherfucker that did that to Nick Saban. But also give it up for, you know, University of Alabama had a very nice run this year. Show people that they they were big dogs, even though you know Texas A&M took them out behind the shed. LSU, Auburn took them to the edge, and Georgia should have beat them in the SEC championship game. But we ain't gonna get into conspiracy theories about why that did not happen and why they weren't running the defense similar. Why they weren't running the defense like they were in the national championship game that was similar to the defenses that Texas A&M. LSU and Auburn used to stifle Bama and this O-line that's not that great and that defensive front that isn't as great as people want you to think. I mean, it it was a great game if you watched it. The whole state of Georgia, city of Atlanta showed up to Indianapolis. It's about 80-20. The Georgia fans traveled a lot better than expected. Bama fans got a little bit too locked today's going didn't show up. They think, you know, it's a given. We're Bama. We're just Bama. We're just going to win just because, you know, that's what it's supposed to be. It's destiny. It's like, if y'all haven't paid attention to, the, to this last decade, that shit ain't destiny for y'all. Dabo done took y'all behind the shed. Florida State done got one up on y'all. LSU done took y'all. Then got one up on y'all. It's, it's not given to y'all Bama fans, man. This shit got to be earned. You got to work hard for it. Like a one... Stetson Bennett, man, went from a walk-on to being out one of the top QB recruits in the nation in JT Daniels and putting it all together to win a natty for a squad. That's some kind of, you know, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, after this horrible Kurt Warner movie, Disney might turn Stetson Bennett's life story into a fucking Disney movie. About perseverance and sticking to it. Hey. But the game was, well, at first was shaping up to be, you know, another one of those boring SEC title games where no one scores, no big plays really happen. I mean, that, that is mostly how the first half went. But the second half was electric. SGC type action. Big plays being popped. Maybe some touchdowns not occurring, but Guys are putting things together. You see about to run this back? Hold on, y'all. My, my. <laughs> no, not bad. Jalen Regan seemed like he's about to break one wide open on, on the Bucks. They're, they're down 31-0. to zero. It's, it, This game's over by day. It's, it's playoff football. You got to watch it. You got to see what happens. But, yeah. This, this, hopefully... Well, hopefully this is the the end of the Nick Saban reign over everybody. Hopefully people put a little more respect on Kirby Smart's name, you know, because he's been building, he's had a very good program for the past decade as well himself, taking Bama to the edge. I mean, they've beaten Bama. Uh, they've beaten them once in the conference championship game. They've beaten Bama once in the conference championship game, I think. 
two other times they've won the conference championship game when Bama wasn't in it. But very good team, very good program, a lot of respect. Hopefully they keep on winning. But with this win, it makes it now. We only have five active head coaches in top division football that have natties. Nick Saban has seven. Dabo Sweeney has two. Kirby Smart got one. If you're watching on YouTube, you've probably already seen who the other two are that have one. But if you just listen to the audio, if you had to guess which other two current head coaches have natties, you might be able to you might be able to pick up, you know, Jimbo Fisher, currently at Texas A&M. Won a natty with Florida State with Jameis Winston. That's number four. But number five, I'm pretty sure most people don't even don't even know number five. Wouldn't even think about number five. To long-time college football fans, some of y'all young kids, y'all didn't see this game happen live. I did. And it's definitely the greatest game you've ever seen. I mean, some of y'all think, you know, Deshaun Watson taking on the Alabama machine, throwing that pass with Hunter Renfro. Is the greatest game. I mean, for y'all, yeah, y'all generation can have that. That's a, that's the greatest night of game y'all can have. The greatest night of game ever was won by a one Mac Brown coaching the University of Texas with a nice good old Vince Young, the new quarterback prototype that almost everybody's becoming now, taking on the machine of USC, coached by one Pete Carroll. That had a fucking Matt Liner, Reggie Bush, Lindell White, goddamn Dwayne Bow. Yeah, guys like fucking uh, Brian Cushing, AJ Hawk, goddamn Troy Palomalu. This fucking loaded ass team just built. Like, probably like five times better than Bama. Bam, Bam, all the Bama teams Nick Saban put together can beat this team, but no. Yeah, Mac, Mac Brown makes number five. And that championship was back in 05. And that's, that's the crazy thing about But you still have other coaches out there waiting in the wings who have natties. I mean, currently, with Mac Brown as his defensive coordinator, you got Gene Chizik, who got his natty at Auburn with Cam Newton. But then out there, you know, guys currently who don't have jobs, who possibly have jobs, who got natties. You got, I mean, Bob Stoops is technically in requirement, even though once Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma, he came out to coach him for the bowl game, which technically means now Lincoln Riley and Bob Stoops have won the same amount of bowl games since Bob Stoops has retired. Eh. You got Les Miles still out there, got his natty, his one year with LSU. That would have been, what year was that? Was that the Jamarcus Russell year? I believe so. I believe that was the Jamarcus Russell year. Then, of course, you got, you know, the one guy out there who may or may not ever coach again in Urban Meyer. He got three natties. You got two with Florida. One with Ohio State. Who, who knows that man's ever going to coach again? I don't know if any... I think he's about, just about burning every bridge with every fucking 
person who could possibly be a coaching assistant out there who has a championship caliber. And then, of course, also, you still got out there, you got the man, the myth, the legend. One Ed Ogeron. Who lived his life the way you're supposed to live your life after one of the nanny. Divorce your wife, start fucking these college hoes. Hey, it's a goddamn vibe out this bitch. But Eddie O's still out there. So, I'm thinking the number will definitely increase from five. They, they're saying it's five, but it's technically six. Gene Chizik is coaching as a DC. He's a defensive coordinator, so coaching. It's at least going to go from go from this six to seven. Eddie O's going to get another job. Les Miles will probably get another job. But, hey, when it, when it natties, guarantees you almost always going to have a job. Unless you're Urban Meyer, of course, now. But back to the game. The, the, one, the one thing in this game that I was glad to see that fucking Georgia didn't do the first fucking time is that instead of just rushing for every play, you, you have to send five, send six, or show that you're sending five and six. So mix up that front because that O-line's not that good. And you gotta, you got to put a spy contain on fucking Bryce Young. The Heisman Trophy winner. Shout, shout out to Bryce Young. He won the Heisman Trophy. I, I personally would have picked him out of the quarter, out of the quarterbacks available to be the best QB. Def, definitely would have chose Kenny Pick, Kenny Pickett. I feel is was the best quarterback this year, from what I've seen. I even feel like you know Sam Howell. I, I put him a little bit above Bryce Young. In the independent, his quarterback ability independent of the talent around him. But, hey, you know, the Heisman Trust, college football playoff, you know, they're, they're a little bit in cahoots, you know, to them to make sure, you know, the Heisman Trophy's in the college football playoff, you know, marketing, branding, you know, money. It is what it is. I'm not mad at it. Am I, am I a little bit upset? Maybe. Angry? Nah. Nah, it is what it is. Good for them. Good for Bryce Young. But, yeah, they had Bryce Young on the run. They were uh, they did a lot of showing six, sending five, and a lot of showing five, sending four with a spy. Very very good scheme up front. Then forcing the wide receivers to have to be who they are, and that worked a little bit. But the one thing, uh, shit, I can't even remember the kid's name. I think it's something like Kirshan Johnson or something like that. Ooh, fucking we, Stetson Bennett was burning, was thrown into the wide receiver. They, two plays, they burned him on the drive. Just one play, got burned. Oh, shit, that is helmet to helmet. On a true defenseless player. Yeah, yeah could be some fans on that. Don't worry, y'all y'all see it if you if you enter your Twitters, the play I'm currently talking about. This, this Eagles player just fucked, just fucking helmet to helmet on a down Tampa Bay return guy. Already down, just went helmet to helmet on the guy for no reason. But yeah, two plays in a row. Stetson Bennett threw it to his wide receiver on that drive. First play, he got burned, but he he's able to, to chop the receiver's legs down. Just get that 15-yard pass. Pass some friends. Two plays later, touchdown. It's like 30 yards out. Yeah, they, they made that boy a victim. But that's all right. Every, every dog has his day, and every DB gets burned. Every once in a while. But the national championship, you in the spotlight. So, he took the jokes in stride. He gonna be alright. 
of course, Bama's going to be back next year. I mean, he literally has the Heisman Trophy winner as your quarterback, who's definitely coming back. So, Bama's going to be a force to reckon with. Bryce Young's going to be a force to reckon with. And if J.C. Daniels stays with the University of Georgia, Georgia's definitely going to be in the driver's seat as well. It's going to be another battle of the big bads in the SEC Championship game. And hopefully not in the college football playoff. Hopefully, Nick, as Nick Saban's been complaining about NIL and the transfer portal, hopefully that shit changes the whole landscape of college football. Because Nick Saban knows it. That the Tuscaloosa area of Alabama does not have the capital to compete with places like University of Texas, Texas A&M, University of Oklahoma, um, let me see, UCLA and USC in the LA area, uh, Stanford and the San Francisco teams, as far as like the money that's out there to offer these players, Bama doesn't have that. And as you've seen, well, even though the, this doesn't involve money, but as we've seen, we, we got a five-star and two four-star recruits deciding to up up and go to Jackson State and other places. A lot of smaller schools. That opportunities is going to be out there. Nick Saban, Nick Saban might get exposed that he's probably he's not a good coach. He's just a good recruiter. Even though being a good recruiter is a very big part of um, college football, he might just get exposed like, hey, he just gets all the five-star players. And then they coach themselves. They just do their own thing. But we shall see how this works out in the future after this title game. The implications that this shit could have. Because, you know, you got guys who want to play for Bama and be on Bama. But more than anything, a lot of guys, they want to be able to say, hey, I beat Bama. They want to be on that short list of people who can say that. So we'll see how this goes on in the future. We're going to get to commercial. We're going to come back. But, hey, Georgia, Kirby Smart. The Atlanta, Athens area, areas of Georgia. Y'all have fun. Y'all remember this. Do it again next year. Make the rest of the country proud. <laughs> we we all had y'all back, baby. Do it again. And other schools out there. Michigan, Cincinnati, y'all had your opportunities to take down the, take down the SEC. We need y'all to do that. Get these boys the fuck up out of here. I mean, Cincinnati, I know your, your recruiting's a little different, different being a group of five. You can't get those big guys up front. Michigan. Y'all could do it. Harbaugh. Go, go to the fucking NFL. We don't need you. We don't need you no more, nigga. We've seen, we seen your product. It's not it's not the best. Another muff punt. God damn. What, what are these niggas doing? What are y'all doing? Yeah, Philadelphia's cooked. <coughs> oh, shit. Yeah, Iowa State, Ryan Day, they can get back there if they can beat us at Michigan. ACC, Pac-12, Big 12. Just have to survive, not auto-cannibalizing auto one another because I think Utah could have went out there and did some damage against Alabama or U UGA. But we'll see what the future holds. We'll keep it pushing and moving forward. Let's get to this break. During this brief intermission, I just wanted to remind all our listeners that we are available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and we also have a Twitter account where you guys 
can interact with us and catch up with us, see our ideas on some things happening between our podcast episodes. Links will always be down in the description. And now back to the action. And let's get to it. One of the NFL's favorite or least favorite holidays, depending on depending on what your team is looking like for the year and how you feel about your head coach. But this week we had the one and only Black Monday. That is the title given to the Monday after the last reg- regular season week, which this year was the first time it was week 18. So that Monday after the Sunday games was played, it's considered Black Monday because that's when most head coaches that are going to be fired get fired. Either that Monday or Tuesday or sometimes even fucking Wednesday as as we damn near seen this year. But uh, let, let's start from the top. All right. Vic Fangio got let go by the Denver Broncos. That was one of those, that's one of those ones where it's sort of like, uh, I mean, if they didn't let him go, I think people would have been cool with it, but they let him go in the house. like, okay, we can see why, you know, last three seasons, you know, there's been seven and eight wins, and it's sort of like, they've been looking at the products like, that's as good as we're going to get. We don't, we don't see you having a way forward for us, so we let you go. People are cool with that. Then you got, I, I'll, I'll get to the, get, get to the last, um, controversial ones at the end. All right. Then you got Joe Judge let go by the New York Giants. That was a funny situation because you had the owner coming out and saying, hey, then Monday they're saying, hey, we're sticking with them. This is our guy. Monday night, the GM decides to leave. Then Tuesday night, it's like, you know what? Fuck him. Get this boy the fuck up out of here. Joe Judge is gone. Which, he, he should have been the first one on the list of all these coaches to be like, hey, Nigga, you're done. We've seen the product you put together for the New York Giants on that field with Danny Dimes, who's actually a pretty decent quarterback, speaking as a Cowboys fan, but I don't I don't think they designed anything to be for him to prosper over there. They they designed the system to be like, hey, Saquon, you can do it all, then we win. That's the strategy. That's all they got. And that's just foolishness. Just just complete fucking foolishness. And then um, you got Matt Nagy in Chicago. Yep, one or two decent seasons and everything just fell apart. He was the one saying, yeah, I'm going to get Mitch Trubisky. We're going to be the truth. Everything's going to be live. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And that nigga lied. Mitch Trubisky had one good season. Then they, then they basically took the film from that one good season and just put counters on that. And then Matt Nagy couldn't adjust any of that shit. Then the whole situation with Justin Fields this year just wasn't good. I mean, bringing in Fields, Andy Dalton, and fucking, um, I can't remember who the third person was. I feel like it was Mike Lennon. And all three of them are thinking, hey, they're coming in to be the starter. Like, not, not you know, having the confidence of being a quarterback. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to come here and be the starter. It's like, no, no, no. All of them were told. Upon arriving, hey, you're gonna be the starter here. You can't do that. That's just that's just, that's just poor roster management. Come on now. But yeah, Matt Nagy, he deserved his fire, and everybody saw he was gonna be on his way out. You know, I'm not saying he was a shit show like fucking Joe Judge the, his whole senior, but Matt Nagy 
on his way out of the festival year. He he had to go. Let's get to Minnesota Vikings and Mike Zimmer. One of the more long the longer tenured person on this list, longest tenured. I think he did six, seven seasons. It's on the screen on the YouTube. It's scrolling by. If for y'all to look at if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening on audio. I, I don't feel like waiting for it to come by. I don't even know where it's at at the moment to to know. But yeah, Mike Zimmer. He had you know, he they had five seasons there where every other year they were in the playoffs. Y'all he's also you know, you also got the the Minnesota Miracle, Stefan Diggs, you know, that that perfect win versus the Saints. That walk off of lovely. Loved every second of that. Death. But these past three seasons have been up and down. Mostly we you know Delvin Cook. Haven't really designed a passing game built for Kirk Cousins exclusively. But yeah, it's been it's time for them to make a change. You know, Mike Zimmer, good coach, but just time for them to make a change. I understand it. So, hey, it is what it is. But now we're going to get to the two controversial firings. You know, I'm going to start off with the Texans firing David Culley. One season. One season, literally. Like, yeah, this man a season. Like, he wasn't, like, part of the organization before this season. Like, one season straight up. He comes in, they only get four games. Most people, most people, most time, you get a four-win coach, people are thinking like, hey, this guy's not a good coach. You should probably get rid of him. But this is him coming in to a roster after they made the fire sale of getting rid of J.J. Watt. Under, you know, that's Bill O'Brien's handling of this roster. You know, they got rid of J.J. Watt, got rid of DeAndre Hopkins, and now they're both over on the Cardinals having the best time of their goddamn lives. But David Culley is brought in to a team that him coming in, coming into it, really coming into it, they did not have a quarterback. He didn't did not have a quarterback because Sean Watson and his sexual misconduct cases are looming over them. So you have a quarterback who's making around $35, $40 million a year who's stuck being on your roster, but you cannot play him. So therefore, you're stuck with all this salary cap that's tied up in a player who cannot touch the field, so it makes it difficult to go out and get a good replacement. And which they brought in Tyrod Taylor, the, the unluckiest man in NFL history. The most unlucky quarterback you've ever met in your life. Probably besides Alex Smith and, you know, the Lager trying 9,000. But you have that. Then Tyrod gets hurt. And honestly... David Cully, out of all these coaches, probably did the best in elevating the play of his rookie quarterback in David Mills. David Mills went out there and balled. They didn't want they didn't they only won four games, but he went and did the job every game he was out there on the field. Like he didn't it didn't seem like, hey, this guy can't can't play the game. It's like he can't play the game. They got some things to figure out. But this guy this guy can play the game moving forward, but I feel like David Culley just got fucked. And it's just like, hey, you were brought in. Basically, they was like, hey, we're bringing you in for one season. For a season, basically, for them to be like, we're, we're tanking without making it as aggressive as um, aggressive as the situation that occurred with the next coach I'm getting to. 
making that aggressive. Yeah, we're gonna lose. We're signing up. We're signing up as GM and executive board. We're going to lose. We're gonna hide for one season for us to lose with the team we designed to lose, and then we're gonna fire you so we can get the guy who we really want. Basically, it's just some some fucking bullshit. Like that's not how. You, that's not how you fucking operate an organization. And I hope no coach really tries to actually go to that Texans job. Because that's some bullshit. You can't just treat another coach like that. And so, getting, going to the next one, which is even more egregious, is fucking, um, Brian Flores being fired by the Miami Dolphins. Like, you put it together, these last two seasons, you got an 8-1 season this season, with start, I don't believe he's a good quarterback, but with, but with Tua, this this man this team started off one and seven, and he was able to get these guys together to rattle off seven straight to give these guys a hope of making the playoffs, even though they they faltered in the last two weeks and didn't make it. But this is a, if you got a coach, you can keep these guys head straight to be like, hey, we just got to go out there and play and win, and to get them to do that seven weeks straight, take themselves out of the playoff picture to directly in the mix. That's the kind of guy you, you probably want to have around. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah, they finished off eight eight or nine wins this season. I know last season they had ten wins and barely missed the playoffs. During the whole, should they start Tua or should they start Fitzpatrick? Which, of my ankle, I don't believe Tua's that good of a quarter. They should have started Fitzpatrick that whole season. But because that was Flores' second season, and in his first season, it was basically trying to, hey, he sort of has no control over how the fuck his job's going to go. Because their first season, his first season coaching in Miami, they made it apparent before the season started, hey, we're going to tank for Tua. But like any good coach and any good quarter, and any quarterback like Ryan Fitzpatrick, it's like, y'all may want to tank, but I'm here to fucking win. And Brian Flores did his best because um, one thing they did, early in the season was take away his uh, his play calling duties on defense and making sure that defensive coordinator called the plays that they that the higher ups wanted to call the worst possible play in defense in certain situations. I mean five thirty eight highlighted a play where on fucking um third and twenty five. Third and twenty five they called a zero blitz. Which is the dumbest thing to do. Calling a zero blitz. Showing zero blitz then actually zero blitzing. Which all you need is just a slant route to get hit, and then that motherfucker's up the field quickly. Which is what happened. But yeah, they 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 wanted him to lose, even, even so much to the point where it's like they got rid of the the number one runner, running back. Got rid of the number one running back in Kenyon Drake, traded him away. Got rid of Kenny Stills and Jarvis Landry. Uh. Let Jarvis go in the offseason and traded Kenny Stills right during the, the beginning of the season. Then got rid of Minka Fitzpatrick, their best DB on the roster. So it's like they built, they were intentionally trying to have this man lose his first season as head coach. Like he had to fight against that. He fought an uphill battle. Then when they forced, when they were forcing him to start Tua, when he knew Tua wasn't ready, making the best he could do with Tua, but then. When things got dire, putting in Ryan Fitzpatrick because he knew, hey, if we want to win games, this is the guy we got to put in here. And then this past season, riding off nine wins 
getting the nine wins after starting one and seven. It's not an easy fucking feat. This man's a good coach. And they fired him up with some bullshit. Just to let him go. And then they wanted to put out, oh, yeah, since the first season he was here, he had been difficult to work with because he didn't want to do the he didn't want to do the things we wanted to. It's like you're saying he's difficult because the guy comes in, you say, hey, we want to lose, and he's like, nigga, I don't want to do that fucking shit. I'm not here to fucking lose. I'm here to fucking win. So, Brian Flores, that was just some greasy shit, but now everything's all up in the air. You got a lot of job openings. It seems like Brian Flores is more than likely going to get the Bears head coaching spot, which good for him. Good for him being the first coach hired out of all of this shit. To get one of the open jobs at uh, Minnesota, Chicago, uh, Jacksonville, Las Vegas after the whole uh, John Gruden fallout. And then, yeah, yeah, you got 18 sort of open spots. If you're watching the YouTube, you can, you'll see it. Shit, you'll see it. I, I guess I'll write a lot of shit. Be getting ready to get there right now. Yeah, you got... Broncos, Dolphins, Jaguars, Vikings, Raiders, Giants, Bears, Texans. This is probably one of the few times I've ever seen this season where we got eight open spots going into the offseason for head coaches. But him being the first first to get one of those eight spots is great. I mean, Jacksonville's looking at getting Byron Leffers to come down and coach over there. Because currently, right now, I'm because people have been talking about it, I'm I'm getting into it. Because it's been scrolling across the screen if anybody else has seen it here. Who's watching on YouTube. But when it comes to the Rooney Rule, currently, because the Rooney Rule was set in, was set in place mostly for minor, minority, but, predom- but mostly aimed at helping black coaches be able to get hired and head coach in the NFL. Currently, the only black head coach standing right now is Mike Tomlin. And when you count the total minority coaches, you got Mike Tomlin, Ron Rivera, and Robert Salah. Which basically currently sitting at three. If Brian Brian Flores gets hired, it makes it four more than likely. I think this will basically, basically next season going into four would be the lowest it's been since the Rooney Rule was instated. And the thing, um, thing people are talking talking about, you know. How the Rooney Rule hasn't been holding up. I mean, I've, I've talked about it. I mean, 538, a couple of years ago, went in depth about it. And that one of the biggest problems with the Rooney Rule is not, is sort of not having to do with the NFL level, but at the college level. And that, you know, a lot of guys, before they coach at the pro level, they coach at the college level. And they show, you know, where most people are in their careers before they become an NFL head coach. And that, just like in the NFL, as, we, as we've seen with David Cully and Brian Flores now, is that black coaches have a significantly shorter leash than their white counterparts. I mean, J.A. Adande and Undefeated circulated a, a interview, a, well, not an interview, it was a press town hall with college basketball coaches featuring John Thompson, the legendary head coach of Georgetown basketball. And he's a he's in there. He's in this video, he states, Hey, we're not asking for you guys, you know, to give us special treatment as black head coaches. 
we just want the opportunity. The opp- first off, the opportunity to be able to coach. And then second off, the opportunity to actually fail before we're fired. We don't want to have to. We don't want to have to be have to be exactly perfect to first get the job, and then be extremely perfect just to keep the job. We just want that fair treatment across the board, and that's sort of what the Rooney Rule is supposed to be set up for. But um, someone who put someone who put it in very good standings is, is uh, Jason Brown, aka Coach JB. If you watched the show last season, you. He's on. He's the second team that's featured in um, Independence College out in Kansas. That that head coach. He what is it called? The Slapdick Podcast. He talks about it on there. Like the one thing you first off got to remember beforehand when it comes to all these coaching interviews that we hear about and coaches getting hired. This shit is way in the hands beforehand because every single one of these coaches have agents. So these coaches they know beforehand more than likely which job they're actually going to get. Before they even go in for the interview. And he, he had that to say. And then also talked about how, hey, when it comes to this Rooney Rule stuff, it's like like how last year Marvin Lewis got interviewed for the Carolina job, even though we all knew good and well. Because we heard it two weeks ahead of time, like, hey, more than, li- more than likely Carolina was going to get Matt Rule. And then Marvin Lewis, basically, is black head coaches. And starting to catch 22 when it comes to the Rooney Rule. And that and that they're going to these interviews just so these teams can fill their quota of having interviewed at least one one black person for a head coach position, one minority person. And that they're going to these interviews knowing that they're not going to get the job, but they're really just hoping these teams just check a box real quick, say that they did it, even though they know they're not actually going to do it. And that's become a problem. Because here on the charts, if you look at the history of all the, of who, of what head coaching regimes most of these black head coaches coached under. The one thing that stands out very big is that Tony Dungy has five different black head, black minority head coaches served under Tony Dungy. And that's of what, I think, 20 different guys? Maybe 20? And this, this is excluding anybody who got interim head coaching jobs. You know, coach got fired in the middle of the season, they just need some stuff up. We're not counting those instances. We're talking about, hey, you were hired to come here and be the head coach. Tony Dungy has five. Five of the five of your five of your minority head coaches specifically worked on it, Tony Dungy. Which is a problem considering, hey, such a large portion of our black head coaches got into the NFL because of one of the other black coaches got hired. It's a problem. I mean, you also have Andy Reid's high up there, and also Marty Schottenheimer is, pretty, is high up there. But the Rooney Rule sort of becoming a problem because you're just seeing, like, they, when they do get opportunities, it's very slim. Yeah, slim. And then also, Marvin Lewis had, had three of the guys. Marvin Lewis had three, so it's just sort of like um, two black head coaches count for eight of the other black head coaches that have occurred in the NFL. That's not a that's not a good stat you want if you're the NFL. But then also the big thing that has come up is Eric Bieniemy. The fact 
he I think over the course of like the past three years he's only had like two head coaching job interviews. I mean that's what started the whole the Sean Watson saga in Texas in Houston before um the assault allegations occurred is that he asked, Hey, you don't have to hire him, but for this new head coach after Bill O'Brien, I, I as a quarterback, I just want you guys just to interview Eric Bieniemy, pick his brain, see if he might be a fit for us. And they flat out just refused to do that. This guy has had so much success under Andy Reid. As we've seen, a lot of coaches come from under Andy Reid do have have decent, at least mid-level coaching talent to be a head coach. But Eric Bieniemy is sort of the sticking point. It's like the Rooney rule doesn't work because he's not getting the interviews, nor and without getting interviews, he's not getting the fucking jobs that should be available, that should be out there for him. And it's just sad to see. It's like, hey, we would like to see more diversity in black black head coaches. Robert Salah got a Muslim head coach, and Ron, Ron Rivera only counts for counts for what one of two. Hispanic head coaches, just him and Tom Flores. Considering we also have a decent population of Hispanic football players, I think they probably count for what? 15% of the NFL's player makeup? Maybe. Maybe 10%. So for them only have been two throughout the history. And then the fact that everybody can, if you if you ask a person, hey, name the two Hispanic head coaches in the history of the NFL. And, that, and that's an easy list to name. And everybody knows him. Even Tom Flores ain't even in the fucking Hall of Fame. It's some bullshit. Motherfucker got two Super Bowls as a player and one as a head coach. Come on now. Come on now. Running rule ain't working. Can't, can't even get Tom Flores into the fucking Hall of Fame. That's some bullshit, man. And it hurts me. And it hurts to see it. That minority head coaches just don't get the opportunities that they should get it versus their white counterparts. Like, how the fuck did Joe Judge get a head coaching job when his most, when his highest job in the pro rankings was being the special teams coordinator at the New England Patriots? I mean, I understand, yeah, special teams coordinator, a lot of times, a lot of times it's the assistant head coach just because they're the only person who really has to know what's going on on both sides of the ball because that's where they get the players from, but Joe Judge, he's only special teams coordinator for a season. Then they made him head coach. It's just like, yo, life's not real. The NFL's not real. It's all bullshit. Let me go to the fucking commercial. Because I'm upset now. During this brief intermission, I just wanted to remind all our listeners that we are available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and we also have a Twitter account where you guys can interact with us and catch up with us, see our ideas on some things happening between our podcast episodes. Links will always be down in the description. And now back to the action. Alright, now we're going to end off the show. We're going to talk about what's going on in a little word of the beatdown sports, that combats, that MMAs, as the kiddies would say. Oh yeah, last night, Shout out to Calvin Cater. Put the fucking beats on Giga. Hail on that match last night for the free UFC card. Hey, if you 
If you don't, if you have ESPN, all I'm saying is, hey, pay five bucks a month, get that ESPN Plus, gives you all the free UFC UFC cards, the quote unquote free ones for five dollars a month. You get that, and all of the all of their insider articles is worth it. Not if you don't hold you. You get access to some of the extra games, some some of the extra TV angles that are available to you, like the rail cam stuff like that for basketball. You know, also some sports like maybe maybe you into hockey, maybe into a little bit of hockey. Yeah, they got that on there too. This is this is not a paid ad. It's just me letting y'all know. Hey, pay that five bucks a month, bro. If you are only if you already got ESPN. If you don't got ESPN, do not pay that five dollars a month. It's not fucking worth it. It's only worth it if you already got the ESPN. But yeah. Calvin Cater put the beats on Giga. That was great to see. And for the most part, the news concerning MMA is mostly all the stacked fucking lineups they got going into the new year. If you're on YouTube, you're seeing some of the shit flying past, some of the headlines, some of the things that are being, some of the lines spoken for people trying to make matchups. Yet, you got shit like, um, unfortunately, Max Holloway. Can't come back to avenge his title against Volkanovski. Got an injury during camp. So now, the Korean Zombie is coming out to take on Volkanovski. Chan Sung Jung. We'll see how that works out. We're, got, you know, we're looking to the future. We're hoping John Jones finally makes an appearance at heavyweight to fight for the title. He's gonna, he's easily going to get the winner of uh, Francis Ngannou and Cyril Gan next week. Hey, if, if you listen to this podcast and you are not an MMA fan, this is a fight you're going to want to watch between these two heavyweights for this pay-per-view. If you're listening to this after, after, um, what is this, January 22nd? I, I don't, January 22nd, 23rd, if you listen afterwards, try to find that and go back and watch the fight. Because I'm telling you, it's, it's going to be entertainment. It's going to be a banger. And then, not even just UFC, one one championship over there at Asia. They dominate the Asian market. That's where they get their fighters from. They got Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson taking on Rotterdam. Two legends of two different disciplines. Mighty Mouse, MMA, Rotterdam, Muay Thai, kickboxing. They will have a nice special mix of rules. Just so we get to see those two throw down in the ring. They was like, fuck it. We, we, we just going to... You niggas, y'all gonna see it. Y'all gonna see it. And then, of course, they got Angel Lee fighting out there as well. You know, one of my faves. It's, these cards are stacking up. I mean, one thing I'm waiting on is a PFL season. So, you know who they get on their roster this year. Professional Fighters League, you know, win the championship. Guaranteed a million. Seeing who they can get lined up. Kayla Harris is gonna come back. Possibly not join the UFC because, I mean, honestly, it's more money for her to be made in PFL. Like her, Ray Cooper the third, those kind of guys, Bubba Jenkins. It's very lucrative for them for them to stay in PFL. I think Anthony Pettis is staying back over there as well too. So yeah. Looking at the cards they have the cards that are coming up for one FC and UFC, looking out to basically April. They've got they basically got the first third of the year planned out good. And it's gonna be entertaining. We're gonna see a lot of good fights. We got a lot of good headlining. We want to see all the people who we love to see, like um, my my best friend's wife's wife, her favorite fighter, Tatsu Ivasa. 
he's going to headline versus Derrick Lewis. And hopefully he wins and pops the shoey. This can be good. It's for the vibes, baby. The people going to love it. Yeah, Raphael, Raphael Fezis versus Raphael Dos Anjos. The Battle of the Raphaels or Rafaels, if you're um, Brazilian or South American. That's why I say it with the accent. Hey, the Battle of the Raphaels. Hey, niggas going to throw it down. You got a fucking, uh, shit. You ride your favor and you ride your favor and, ah, oh, what is the motherfucker's name? Cub Swanson going, going to fight the two old guys still fighting. They said, hey, let's throw it back. Let, let, since they made a BMF title, why don't, why doesn't the UFC, you know, make an honorary WEC title to throw it back to the old days? Because where both of them came from. We'll see how that lines up. That, that'd be great as well. But getting more so of the sort of the business side of things and other things happening around there. Was that um Francis Ngannou and Tyson Fury had been a nice back and forth. They want to set up a super fight. They want to do something to entertain for the people. I mean, I would love to see them just in like a, a straight up boxing match because Francis Ngannou, that's a big motherfucker. To seeing him in a situation where he's not required to cut weight, that'd be interesting to see. Because Francis, he has to cut down to make that 265. Seeing him, like, probably maybe a solid 280, nice and healthy, good stamina, versus Tyson Fury, who's a nice 280, healthy stamina. Seeing those two in a nice little boxing match, that'll be fun to see. That'll be great to see. They keep going back and forth. UFC, probably, with the contract stipulations. I'm about to get into that a little bit. It's not going to let Francis get out of there and just fight unless, you know, Dana White finally sets up Zufa Boxing. Which they've been wanting for a while. But, yeah. Yeah, and I think, what else? Um, got Platinum Mike Perry. He's finally going to have his first fight in uh, Brad Knuckle FC. If, if you're into that, if you're into, like, a lot of more blood than you would see in a UFC fight, you got that. You got that, and these cards that are coming out is very good. Very good. You got John Jones about to come out. Yet Henry Cejudo talk, talking a lot of shit. But it's like, bro, you've been retired for way too long. Nobody's really trying to see you fight, and you're not going to be looking at a title shot, so relax. I think, uh, oh, yeah, you got the clear number two in Waltzboy behind Usman, Kobe Covington. So to go out there and probably take away all the Jorge Masvidal star power. And that'll be interesting to see. Because if, he, if Kobe goes out and puts the stumps on Jorge like I expect him to, then who is little old Jake Paul going to be able to call out to try to set up a fight? Because that little nigga going broke. It's, it's verified. His, his pay-per-view shit only did around like 85,000 buys. Niggas lost money on that. The promoters lost money. It's... No one wants to see you, bro. You're not a draw like you think you are. The jig is up. The casual, the casuals, people think you can always just capture the casual market. But the casuals have, have to listen to the hardcore slash diehards slash regular fans of, what it, of whatever sport it is. Like the same thing you're seeing right now with Connor. Connor, when he comes back, 
probably is not going to headline a pay-per-view. Because even though Connor's nowhere close to being ass as a fighter, but he's not title contending level currently. He hasn't shown us that. He, his fights with Dustin, yeah, they were good until they ended. But we know Connor's not ready for that level again currently. So, and now the casuals know it as well, too. So, Connor's not as big of a draw as he used to be. You know, the stars dim a little bit. And Jake Paul, his stars all the way dim. No one's no one wants to see him fight. Like, the jig is up. Got conspiracy theories about, you know, you're on the roids. Got dad being shouted up. You got the whole fucking, um, fucking, um, shit where it, if you watch it, if you, if you're from the era of 90s, 90s to early 2000s boxing where a lot of shady shit was going on. It looks like Tyron Willie possibly was paid to take a dive and to let a shot come straight full force through and hit him. Who knows? Hey, it's out there. I'm not saying it's true or not. I'm saying that's one of the things out there. So your stuff is looking less like, oh, legit, but it's more spectacle because now everybody's actually investigating who Tyron Woodley is. The casuals and they're seeing like, hey, this guy's for the most part a wrestler. And you're and you got like forty pounds on the guy and six inches. This is this is this is a fight you're supposed to win, as everybody would say. Then they look in the Ben Askin, they're like, wait, this motherfucker was literally only a grappler, barely did MMA, and had two hit replacements just before you fought him. So the jig is up on Jake Paul, unfortunately, for him. So, I don't know what he's going to do to turn that around. But, I mean, he's been, he he had his little streak of, like, saying, hey, pay the UFC fighters more. Pay them, pay them. Then he's, like, then he's trying to entice the fighters. Like, yeah, you come with me. Come fight for me. You get paid. But it, even before the numbers came up for that second Woodley fight, Jorge Masvidal, one of the main people he called, I was like, hey, I've seen, I've seen the numbers behind the shit you're doing. Yeah, you're lying. Then Nate, D, then Nate Diaz came out and said, yeah, the money you're saying you can guarantee me, I know it's a lie. I looked at the numbers. UFC can guarantee me three times as much as you were, as you were saying. Then these numbers came out, bro. It's it's a wrap for him. It's a wrap. But then also, more getting to the numbers, we Francis Ngannou sort of, sort of broke a little bit of information that finally for me and probably some others, finally allow things to make sense. For while most of the time when it comes to these contract disputes between UFC fighters and the UFC about how much they are and aren't getting paid, well, it's almost always champion fighters. And that is because in each UFC contract, there is a champion clause where if you have the title, if you have the title, after you fought your last fight on your contract, so either you won the title in that last fight or you defended the title in that last fight, your contract automatically for renews for three fights or one year with the UFC at the same the same amount for for what you agreed to in that original contract if you if you won the title, how much you would get paid. Which is why for most of these guys, it's stagnated at around half a million dollars. So, that's why it seems like it's sort of set up in a way where you're better off 
possibly losing the last losing the fight before your last fight on your contract just so you're not in the title contention and then you can up that pay because one person who's been smart about it is um Sean O'Malley I mean he's not notorious, he's notoriously known for turning down fight opportunities and he said that's because he's like hey I'm not gonna go fight top 15 ranked guys guys who are ranked if I'm not gonna be, if I'm not gonna get paid, like a guy who's fighting top fifteen ranked guys, because Sean O'Malley, he's people are basically quoting him as being, you know, more likely he could be the next Conor McGregor. He's he has a brand that he's building up very good, and he's becoming a star. You know, highlight film knockouts, a lot of walkoffs, intentional that he's that he's doing, and like, hey, he could be the next guy to become a face in the UFC, but he's being smart about his money. Because I'm pretty sure he doesn't want to be caught up being a UFC champion, defending the title, and only being paid half a million per fight plus some pay-per-view points when it's like, hey, I know I'm worth a lot more. That's why guys like Nate Diaz only really signs one-fight contracts with the UFC. That's why Connor's been mostly one-fight contracts with the UFC since they took his belt and the whole Khabib situation. That's why he's making $5 million a fight. There's some Poirier's up there making a making a million or two a fight. So, yeah, these guys are trying to rewrite the rules to make sure they get their money, which I'm all about. And it's a good thing. But UFC, hey, if, you, if you're not into it, it's a perfect time to get into it because you're going to have a lot of great matches coming up to start off the year until about April and June before they got to remake remake more schedules up based off the winning losses that people have now's the time to get into it good time to watch and also shout out bellator as well bellator has a very has a very good roster that you're going to want to enjoy seeing as well if you want an alternative to ufc bellator they sort of set up their things more sort of like the old days of what was known as pride fc that was in japan where it's like yo it's a big spectacle every time one of these guys comes into the ring it's a grand interest on like some wwe shit and they treat them as superstars as such. That's going to be nice to watch as well. But no real news coming out. No real big updates in the fight sports world. But there are fights coming up over the course of the next few months that you're going to want to see and that you're not going to want to miss. If you got a friend who's in the UFC, ask them, be like, hey, I know I heard there's some good fights coming up. Can I watch some of these with you? So you can get into it. At least have someone who can explain it to you. A little bit they might not be as throwback as me because i'm i'm someone from the pre-fox deal i'm talking i was watching back when the ultimate fighter was first starting i'm one of the old heads in terms of fans but it could be one of these more newer heads that you could talk to get into it with and you can enjoy it that it's not just brutal violence there's an art to it it's mixed martial arts it's a painting except i'm painting my foot to your head and you're going to sleep it is what it is and that's the end of the podcast, man. If you listen this far, thank you. I appreciate it. Like, comment, subscribe. Tell everybody you know about it so I can get more views and have a broader audience. Maybe upscale, get some better audio and stuff, get some equipment. And I appreciate you. You, the listener, you know, like PBS. You know, shows like this are brought to us by our sponsors and viewers like you. 
this to uh, watching the YA podcast. I'm Ski Mask Murphy. Y'all have a good night, man. I host it live in the Say Less podcast Discord server. Shout out to the Say Less podcast of Kaz, Loki, and Rosie. And we are also affiliated with the Otaku Fight Club podcast, hosted by yours truly. And we are also affiliated with the Sips Tea podcast, hosted by Genesis and C Saint, a rapper and a battle rapper out of Buffalo, New York. All the links to everything described here are in the bottom of the description.